Rising Champions, a podcast about the mental side of sports, featuring inspirational interviews with young rising athletes about their quest to win their personal championships. Hosted by Dr. Jason Novetsky of Champion Mindset Group, alongside radio personality Kyle Bogie. Another episode of the Rising Champions podcast. I am Kyle Bogey, of course, uh, with Dr. Jason Novetsky of the Champion Mindset Group. And, Doc, we have had, um, I mean, talking about the, the spectrum of guests uh, that we've had on, on the Rising Champions podcast, we've had just some fantastic younger people, uh, some tremendous coaches who have certainly been through quite a bit, uh, people who are, you know, fighting through, you know, focus and, and, and improving their mentality and, and making sure that they are performing at their absolute best. But um, this was one of my favorite conversations uh, that we've had so far with Anthony Ianni, former Michigan State basketball player and somebody who was actually on the spectrum, uh, was diagnosed with a form of autism when he was four years old. And what he has been able to accomplish so far and what I think he's going to be accomplishing moving forward is as impressive as anything I've ever, ever been a part of. I agree, Kyle. This is a, a tremendous story, a tremendous individual, and he's going to go on to do amazing things because, like he says, he's not done yet. So uh, he is on the rise, and this is uh, a situation near and dear to my heart uh, as a school, practicing school psychologist still um, and having a family member on the spectrum. Um, I, I get it. And uh, I've worked with these kids. They're, they're special in so many ways, so many positive ways. And they need more advocacy. We have great services in our state and in our schools, but we can always do more. And there's so many things that we can learn from other kids and, and young adults like Anthony. So, you know, I, I'm emotional about this because it's, uh, it's such an important issue in my life. Well, it's just, it's, it's very, I think you use the word, you know, misunderstood and, and we need to have a little bit more awareness and all that. I, I, I'm right there with you. You know, there, there were things that Anthony just talked about just now that I, I didn't know, you know, and, and that's, I, I guess I, I should be around it more. I should, you know, maybe read a little bit more, be exposed to, you know, things like that a little bit more. And it's, it's fascinating because you'll listen to him speak and the conversation will be just, just a couple of minutes from now, right here on the rising champions podcast. And you, you would never know, you know, that, that, you know, he was, you know, on the spectrum, it just, He's, he's fascinating. He's intelligent, speaks well, speaks clearly, has incredible perspective, I think, on, on what he has gone through. It's, it's truly remarkable. You know, and, and like you said, it's a spectrum. So people on the spectrum are going to look different. It's across the board, across the spectrum. So, you know, some people with autism have a lot of trouble with understanding the nuances of languages and sarcasm and jokes and understanding uh, facial expressions and body language. And, and that's what he struggled with the most. And so you couldn't see his, you know, his issues with autism. But when he was in certain situations, that's when it popped. And that's when he got into, you know, a little bit of trouble, so to speak, now and then uh, with teammates or with friends or in school. Uh, but other kids um, are not as well off in terms of their abilities. Uh, some have struggled with cognitive abilities and some don't speak at all. And I think that's the autism that a lot of people think they know about, but they don't understand that there's a whole nother level um, of, of autism in all different ways. And so, yeah, he talks about how people sometimes question his autism and then he, he will set them straight pretty quickly about how that works. Yeah. And I, I guess uh, lastly here, before we, we, you know, get to Anthony, 
I, I feel like every excuse that I've made in life or everything that I've complained about in life was uh, a, a waste of breath and a waste of uh, some time because his circumstances couldn't have been more difficult. Um, and instead of focusing on ho-hum for me, it was just, I'm going to prove everyone wrong. I'm going to erase the stigma. I'm going to do that. And I, I just, to me, that is the most impressive attitude anyone can have because we all get dealt, you know, a bad deck of cards. We all have things that we have to deal with in life, but for what he's had to, to go through and all the success that he has been able to have so far is, I mean, that's, that's, that says everything about who he is and how he's attacked life. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would suggest anybody listening to this, this is one you got to share. You got to pass on, uh, pause it and bring somebody else around and start listening to this interview right now, because this is a game changer. This is a game changing guy. And uh, he's going to do some amazing things down the road that are going to change the world. You can uh, check out Anthony at www.relentlesstour.com. And uh, that, you don't need to hear anything else from us. So we'll get right to it. Anthony, I here with us on the rising champions podcast. All right. Well, a pleasure to have you you're here with us, Anthony. Uh, and I see the background right now on this, <laughs> uh, this Zoom call. I, I don't think your allegiances to, uh, to Michigan State have, uh, have loosened here over the last several years. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Absolutely not. And, and I tell people all the time, man, and like, you know, there's a lot of big time Michigan State fans out there. But when it comes to like, you know, nonstop, you know, number one fan, like you're talking to him right now, man. Like <laughs> so much history about you know, any of our programs, sports programs in the university, like I'm the biggest Michigan State fan you'll ever meet, man. So, so this is, this is the background I use for, for all my presentations <laughs> and, and people love it. They get a kick out of it. So, yeah. How, uh, how big of a role did, uh, or does Tom Izzo play, you know, in your life and the program and instilling that and guys like you and, and everyone that, that comes through East Lansing, I got to believe he's just, he bleeds it, you know, the green and white like crazy. Oh, he does. I mean, just, you know, Draymond Green had a saying, you know, when you come to Michigan State, you come to Michigan State as a kid. But then when you leave, you leave as a man because of what Coach Izzo and the coaching staff does for guys like myself and guys like Draymond and Raymond Morgan and so on and so forth. But just like how much of an impact he has on our lives, because it's not just the basketball piece we get out of the experience from that, but just the experience of learning how to be a better person and how we go about ourselves in public because of him. And all the early morning workouts and practices, like it helped prepare us for the real world. And so, and he taught us so much about character, like, you know, in, whether it's my anti-bullying presentations I do or my um, transitioning with, in life with autism presentations, like I always talk about him and, and the messages he sends, which are, which are about family, character, respect, and just like how much of an impact he's had on me. So, and it doesn't matter like how many years you graduated from Michigan State, like he talks to guys that played under Judd Heathcote in the 70s and 80s before he even got there. And he established that family atmosphere because of everything he's done. And so, I mean, we have reunions twice a year. We have one during football season and basketball season. And we have over 250-plus alums, players and managers who come back. And it's a reflection of what he's done in the 25-plus years he's been there. So he's had a major impact on my life. And he was a big reason why, obviously, why I went to Michigan State or ended up going to Michigan State. But – he was always the guy I wanted to play for, and he was a big reason why all my, you know, all my dreams and my successes were able to come true. I know, uh, I know, Doc's chomping at the bit, but I, I, I want to. <laughs> while we're on the subject of uh, of Izzo and the program and all that, I, I got to ask, what the heck goes on in that program in, in your freshman and sophomore year? Because I feel like there's been so many examples of players, student athletes, um, who 
maybe struggled a little bit freshman, sophomore year, and then by their senior year, whether it's a Raymar Morgan, you know, whether, I mean, Draymond obviously was very good, you know, his entire career, but by his senior year, he was absolutely tremendous. What goes on in developing that leadership and, and the ability to excel as a, an upperclassman? Yeah, so my freshman and sophomore years, I started off at Grand Valley State. And then my and then I transferred um, after my sophomore year. But yep. I was around to see guys like Derek Nix and Keith Appling yeah. from these high school kids just to, like, leadership roles. And just seeing what, what Nix went through, you know, trying to maintain his weight. Like, he was there. When, I, when we both got there, he was, like, 325. And then by my senior year, he was a solid 269. And it was just amazing, like, how much, like, he bought into the program and what we were doing as far as nutrition-wise, weight-building-wise, and, like, basketball-wise. And so – but seeing guys – being around guys like Draymond and the leadership that he provided, you know, when I was there for the three years I was there, it was just incredible. Like, guys held each, held each other accountable for everything, held each other accountable on the court, off the court – how you condone yourself in public and just being a good representation of the program. And so, but again, that's all reflection on coach Izzo because he basically, you know, puts that in us and it's like, you know, you know, whatever you guys do, you're going to represent Michigan state, not just represent Michigan state basketball, but you're going to represent this university the right way as well. Yeah. Anthony, thanks for being on the show. That's already thanks, so amazing uh, to hear you talk about your experiences. And I want to go back to what you said about the character. And that's something that I try to instill in the clients that I work with as well. And oftentimes we start out that conversation with what are your barriers to, to your success? And then what character skills do you need to work on to help you overcome those particular barriers? So I'm curious if if that kind of conversation happened as a team or that was more introspective on yourself to identify barriers that you had to the success that you ultimately want and what character skills did you personally have to work on and develop as a player and as a person? As far as like, as far as like the barrier skills, like everybody on the team had a role and everybody knew like where you came from, what background you were from and what schools, high schools you went to. So everybody had like some type of barrier that they have gone through in life. And we all kind of combine that saying, you know, in team meetings, like we've all gone through these workouts together as a team. Like we had to overcome these barriers to get through the tough challenges of preseason workouts, like losing to Illinois, for example, this is nothing compared, you know, to what we're going to go through later on in life. So we can get, we can get through the next game because we have each other and we're going to get through these barriers together. We're going to go right through the walls for each other. And so we all kind of used our life experiences to kind of like piggyback off each other as far as like leadership and how to push each other. Um, and if things do go too far, like, you know, we weren't afraid to like pull guys back and say, hey, it's too much. Just like, you know, ease up on that person a little bit. And so and I think that's what made our chemistry so great was that, you know, we had we joke with each other a lot. But at the same time, if things went a little too far, one of us weren't afraid to just pull one back and go, hey, man, like just, you know, come on, just relax. Let him do his thing. And, you know, he'll, he'll let us know when he needs that motivation the most. And for me personally, I think, you know, and what I do today, just learning from the great leaders we had, you know, whether it was Coach Izzo and learning from Magic Johnson who would come during Thanksgiving holiday break, just learning from him and his background and everything he continues to do to this day um, as an entrepreneur and a former NBA all-star. 
Um, so, so, but again, that's the experiences I was able to have and be blessed with during my time at Michigan State. Yeah, and, and, and clearly, you know, as we all know, it's been well documented and you speak about it, you have some personal barriers that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mentioned to you before we started recording, not a lot of people know this on the podcast, but I'm also a school psychologist and I've worked a lot in my life with, with people on the spectrum. And, and understand the, the autism spectrum and the impact it can have if, if, if it's allowed uh, on an individual. So I'm really curious to learn, you know, more from you at a deeper level on, you know, things like, you know, reading body language and, and understanding sarcasm and jokes and in a team atmosphere, that's got to be really difficult for you when you were growing up and coming through the program. I know there's a famous story that you want to tell about uh, Draymond and things like that, but I'm, I'm curious about others as well. Yeah, so um, so for people who don't know my background, I was diagnosed with pervasive developmental disorder when I was four, which is on the autism spectrum. And when I was five years old, a group of doctors and professionals told my family that because I have autism, to not expect me to do much or be much in life. Mm. A family, I would barely graduate from high school, never go to college, never be, in a, never be an athlete and end up in a group institution with others just like myself. Um, I wasn't told this story until I was a freshman in high school. So that was like my motivation to go out and prove those people and any other doubters and naysayers that had my life wrong. I had to work really hard at everything from my social life to school to basketball, and I had a lot of support. Um, so I graduated from Oklahoma's High School in 07, went to Grand Valley State for two years on a Fulbright scholarship there. Didn't work out for me, so I decided to live my ultimate dream of playing for coaches on Michigan State, um, where I was a walk-on for two years. In my senior year, I was given a Fulbright scholarship. But what some people may not know is I'm actually the first Division One college basketball player in NCAA history to play with an autism diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And that's a piece of history that I hold near and dear to my heart. Um, but like for me, you know, being on the spectrum, it was a little difficult, you know, being around some of my teammates at times because when I, when I went to Michigan State, nobody knew about my diagnosis except for the coaches, um, our trainer, and our, and our strength and conditioning coach, Mike Vorkovich, who's known me since I was 10. And it was so hard for me to understand, like you said, Doc, the body language, you know, having a tough time if guys were being sarcastic or just like being serious. And that's one of my biggest weaknesses, you know, being on the spectrum is I can't understand the difference between joking and sarcasm sometimes. Um, You know, when I was in elementary school, I had a tough time understanding nouns, verbs, idioms. I mean, you would have told the five-year-old me it's raining cats and dogs outside. I probably would have ran out a door somewhere hoping and praying that a cat or a dog would actually fall from the sky and into my right. arms. Um, but that was me on the spectrum. And then there are certain situations that I just can't let go of because of who I am. And so, and then I had a tough time with um, my dad worked in athletics at Michigan state for over 26 years. He retired last summer, but as a four-year-old, five-year-old kid, I could barely go to football and basketball games. Because just the stimulation of the crowd, the arenas, the lights, the horn on the scoreboard, it was just too much for me. But I was able to kind of figure out a way to overcome that. And what I did was I would look at the clock, and before the horn would go off on the scoreboard, I would cover my ears, the horn would go off, and I would kind of slowly take my hands off my ears, but then put them back on if it was too much. So I did that every single game, and it got to the point where I was just controlling the environment around me. But none of my teammates knew this. They didn't know. I take that back. Two people knew. It was Austin Thornton. Austin and I had known each other for 16 years. We played AAU travel ball together. And Mike Keebler, who was a high school teammate of mine. So those are the only two that knew. But nobody else knew. So, so for me not to tell my teammates about what was going on, you know, at the same time, it was a personal choice I made because I didn't know how my teammates were going to react to it. But then 
you know, still have an Austin to lean on to and go, hey, was Draymond being serious or was he just kidding? And then he would just say, no, no, it's okay. Or if the joking was too much, Austin was not afraid to walk over somebody and say, hey, just kind of back off AI for a little bit because he actually thinks that you're messing with him when you're actually not. So, so Austin definitely knew, you know, a lot about my background as well. That, that had to be an incredible barrier to, to get over, you know, I mean, you're, you're not talking about going and I don't know, having dinner, you know, in a crowded restaurant, you're talking about playing in uh, a packed arena with 18,000, 20,000 fans screaming, <laughs> screaming their heads off, especially the student section. I mean, how, I guess how big of a challenge was that, you know, to go into a little bit more detail on that? You know, as a younger kid, you know, bogey was a little difficult because again, yeah. I was still trying to get used to the sounds around me, but the more and more I started playing competitive ball, you know, from middle school and high school. And when I got to Grand Valley State, it was all adrenaline after that because I, I enjoyed playing in front of the student section we had at Okemos High School, in front of the, the community, my friends my, and all my family. And that kind of carried over to Michigan State. And I was around Michigan State Athletics, you know, pretty much all my life. You know, I was so used to the ISOM by then. Like I wanted to be the hype guy. And I tell people all the time, like, you know, I didn't care if I played zero minutes or 20 minutes at Michigan State or if I averaged 20 a game where I didn't because, you know, I was a part of something special in the program. And I left my footprint in that program somehow, some way, whether it was being the Rudy of Michigan State basketball, which Ray Weathers called me one time in practice one day, and I took it as a big-time compliment, or being the first Division One college basketball player with autism to play at Michigan State. Like, you know, I didn't care if I played or not. Because what mattered to me the most was just wearing that jersey that said Spartans on it and running out of that tunnel with the fight song being played. And so, so I didn't even think about, you know, autism, my diagnosis or anything like that when I was, you know, out there. Because all I can – basically, it was just all adrenaline. And I took more pride and honor in just thinking about how cool it was to wear that jersey in front of 15,000 fans at the Breslin Center. It sounds like, Anthony, you really just kept things in good perspective. Well, I came from a good family, and that's the reason why. You know, my dad and my mom, you know, my father always taught me the harder you work, the more you earn, um, because it's true. You know, you put in the heart, you know, the harder you work, you are going to earn more and get what you get in life. And my mom was a three-sport All-American at Adrian College. She played basketball, softball, and volleyball. Still holds nine league records, school's all-time league score for men and women's basketball. Has her jersey and number retired. And so Hmm. my mom always taught me and told me about what she went through in college as a college basketball player and how much work she had to put in. And that if you're not playing much, don't take, don't think of it as a bad thing. Just keep working hard and hard and hard and you're going to get more playing time. And that's kind of how I was, you know, my second year at Grand Valley state, like a lot of people expect me to start didn't happen. So my mentality after that was, okay, I'm going to use practices as my games, you know, and just go in there and try and do the best I can. And it got to the point where I ended up being the sixth man off the bench, you know, later on that season, Grand Valley state. So, just having that great support system with my, with my mom, my dad, my sister, even, even to this day, you know, my wife and my in-laws, like they've been nothing but great. And they always make sure that I keep my head on straight and just be thankful for everything that, you know, I've been given in life and everything that I have come in my way in my life's journey. See, it's, it's a little bit easier to have that perspective, you know, when, when you're an adult, when you're a husband, you know, when you're a parent, right. you know, whatever it may be a little bit later on in life. I mean, we all, you know, I still have plenty of maturing to do, but, you know, we all mature a little <laughs> bit uh, more the older we get. At least that's how it's supposed to work. But for a ninth grader, you know, you, you said you didn't know what the doctors had, had told your parents until you were in ninth grade. I, I marvel that you were just immediately able to turn that into to motivation. Was there a point where 
it, it was incredibly difficult or was it just flip the switch? I'm going to turn this into something and, and believe in myself. Oh, it was still difficult because I would, I went to a high school of at the time, 1600 kids and Okemos is an area that's, you know, very suburban mm-hmm. and, you know, people know each other. It's not a really big town, but you're right next door to Michigan state and East Lansing. And, uh, but there was still a lot of disrespect I took because I dealt with so much bullying from kindergarten up leading up to my freshman year of high school. So a lot of those same kids who bullied me were also the same ones who tried to disrespect me and talk dirt about me. But at the same time, my father and my mother always taught me that you can't let the naysayers get, get to you because they're going to drag you down and what you want to work for in your life is not going to happen. And so, so the day my parents told me, you know, about my diagnosis, and this is, you know, I was in, I was in our family den watching the Tigers because this was in August. And, you know, they called me in the living room, told me the story. And I remember going back to our family den. I had the TV on, I had the volume on, but then I hit mute. And I just kind of leaned forward in my couch for 30 seconds of silence. And then I just said to myself, all right, let's go shut some people up now. Let's go prove people why you can do this and you will do this despite having autism. And I think a lot of my classmates, you know, they didn't know that I was on the autism spectrum because there were some things that I said and did differently. And they were just out of the ordinary that, you know, kids today even will look at that and go, you know, that that guy is just weird. If he's saying or doing stuff like that, like, why would he do that? And without even asking the person why they'll just go ahead and make him a target of bullying and disrespect. So it was still difficult, but I knew that I had all the motivation in the world, you know, after my parents told me what went down when I was five. Anthony, have you learned that, people that bully others and, and like you said, talk dirt about them really just comes from fear and a lack of understanding. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, a stat that a lot of people don't know, doc is anywhere between 65 to 90% of kids with autism in our country, they are the number one targets of bullies in schools across the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like you said, a lot of it is because those, the bullies who bully the individuals who will have autism, they don't understand what they go through. So I was on a podcast earlier today talking about this, about how if a person is rocking back and forth in the middle of the hallway by themselves, you know, that's one of the characteristics for autism is self-soothing themselves. Yeah, exactly. And whatever makes them relax and comfortable. And so, Mm -hmm. but kids who don't understand autism, don't understand the spectrum will look at that and think it's just flat out weird and they'll go and bully the kid. Or my, my example, I said and did things that were out of the ordinary. Like, why would that kid say that? Why would he do that? Or they have an outburst in class. They have an outburst in the hallway. They can't control themselves during their outburst. And, and so they don't understand it. But whenever I go into schools and do presentations on bullying in our state around the country, I'll have some of those kids who are the bullies come up to me and say, hey, this is why I bullied this person, but I get it now. I understand it. And from now on, I need to get to know the person and what they're going through before I make assumptions. And I told that student, I said, I, you know, I wish the, I wish society was like that. You know, the way you just came up to me and said, Hey, maybe I need to stop making assumptions and get to know somebody before I actually do something. You know, I find it interesting. I got to believe that, you know, everyone loves to focus on, you know, what adversity they, they have to deal with, you know, Oh, you know, I, I grew up in this environment or, you know, Oh, I have a bad coach or whatever, you know, or in your situation, you know, obviously, you know, being on the spectrum, everyone likes to, to focus on that and why they shouldn't be able to accomplish these things. And I don't want to say pout, but, you know, instead of channeling their energy elsewhere and, and using it as fuel, most people focus on that. So 
I got to believe that, you know, you speaking not only to, you know, people who, who have autism, you know, but people that don't, seeing everything that you've accomplished, it, it's an easy sell to say, despite your circumstances, whatever they may be, you can have success if you use, you know, the unfortunate part of your circumstance in the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, I, and I've talked to folks, Bogey, who are on the spectrum, and especially the younger kids, who are ashamed of having autism because they think it's a curse. You know, they think they're not going to go far in life because when society hears the word autism, society automatically assumes, well, autism, you're not going to do much in life because because of this, because of that. And I've had people in the past look at me and say to me, you have autism? Like, I don't see it. I don't recognize it. Like, you're not one of those individuals who have autism. And I've always posted people up who tell me that and by asking, well, what does autism look like to you? What is autism supposed to look like to you? Is it supposed to look like somebody who has to have help for the rest of their life or does it look like a normal everyday person? And that's what I love about the spectrum is that, and Doc, you may agree with this, the spectrum is so massive that there are so many different individuals with autism on that spectrum, but the one similarity they all have is that they all have really unique and talented traits, no matter if they're on the high end or the low end of the spectrum. So I've kind of always made it my job to make sure that, hey, you can do this despite having autism because autism doesn't define you, you define it. It's not just an autism thing either. It could be somebody who's going through ADD, ADHD, you know, mm-hmm. a learning disability, or, or even I've talked to people who've had cancer before and they've always said to me, you know, I'm not going to let it define me. You know, I'm going to define who I am and I'm going to define it myself. And so, so it's definitely, you know, a blessing to be able to talk to individuals and tell them that, hey, be proud of who you are. Like, don't worry about what society thinks about you. Don't worry about what your classmates think about you or the news, the media, like whoever. Just worry about you because your thoughts and opinions in life matter the most. Nobody else's. Anthony, it's, uh, again, so inspiring. And uh, I think I mentioned earlier, I have a nephew with autism. I've worked mm-hmm. with a lot of uh, kids and children with autism. And you're right. There's so many it's kind of an oxymoron, but you said what's similar about them is they're all unique <laughs> in, in their own, in their own way. And they all have unique strengths and, and abilities, not disabilities, but abilities uh, that are going to carry them forward. But it also has to be supported. And I think that's uh, an important piece to this puzzle is you had a great family, uh, obviously a great coach uh, and teammates that went out of their way to understand and were compassionate mm-hmm. and, I see sometimes the other side of that where, you know, you experience it too, where you're, you're bullied or misunderstood or made fun of and things like that. And, and I think as a society and as coaches and as teammates, we have to be better at understanding not just people on the spectrum, but everybody's differences as well. I don't mean to get political here, but we all have differences and we need to, we need to come together in that regard as well. So I think your story is, you know, a lightning rod to, to that cause. Thanks, Doc. And it's like you talk about like getting to understand others. And you mentioned, you know, a story with me and Draymond. And Draymond didn't know about me being on the spectrum until a little incident in the weight room one day. So long story short, um, we do the VO2 workout or majority of the university and basketball programs do it. You know, for anybody watching, listen to this who don't know what the VO2 workout is, it's a way to measure um, your stamina, your oxygen, your body fat, blood sugar, et cetera. And so you do it once just once in your entire career. So I had to do it twice. I had to do it once at Grand Valley State and when I transferred to Michigan State. And so our freshman had just done it the day before. Draymond walks in the weight room the next day and says, I, Coach Izzo told, me, told him I have to go and do it. So in my mind, I'm thinking, 
is he serious? Like the coaches will really tell him this or he, or is he just pulling my leg right now? And, but he kept doing it the whole workout and it got to the point where I just wanted to go over and just, you know, lay one, like lay my right arm right into his head. And so, but luckily, you know, Mike Vorkovich, our strength coach came over, you know, after Draymond said, you know, Hey, Anthony, if you can't take a joke, just don't be here. And then Vork came in, pulled Draymond aside and said, Hey, do you want to know why, you know, Anthony can't understand you right now? It's because he has autism. He doesn't understand your jokes sometimes. He thinks you're picking on him. He doesn't see the gray area. It's very black and white for him. And then my teammate, Derek Nix, you know, I, I love Nix, sir. That's my guy. You know, he overheard the conversation between the two. And, Nick, and Derek goes, well, I don't see what the big deal is. You know, if, if AI is artistic, you know, I'm artistic too. <laughs> so my, my strength and conditioning coach goes, what did you just say? And Derek said, well, artistic, that's what you said, wasn't it? And my strength coach went to his head in his hand like this and he looks at Derek and goes I said autistic autism buddy not artistic with crayons paintbrushes with artwork no but again <laughs> that's how very little my teammates knew about autism what the autism spectrum was and so yeah. and, then, and then next week at workouts Draymond came up to me and we talked and he was just like you know why didn't you tell me all this and I gave him my reason and then next thing he says to me he says hey well kudos to you because look at how far you've come and then from that day forward my teammates got a better understanding of not who I was as a person, but what autism is. And now I, I got, you know, our coaches, you know, whether it's coach Stevens, um, you know, Dane Fife coaches are like, they're asking me questions. Hey, if we recruit another kid like you, who's on the spectrum, how do we go about recruiting this kid? Like, do we ask questions? And I'm like, yeah, like get to know their strengths and weaknesses. What makes them click? What doesn't make them click and tell them and brag about how Michigan state, is one of the best universities in the state of Michigan and the country when it comes to autism services and autism research, and then you're good to go. But yeah. the fact that my teammates coaches are still asking questions to this day, it shows me that they really care. Yeah. And it shows me that they want to take those lessons and pass them on to others as well. You know, so, it's interesting you mentioned, I'm sorry, Kyle. No, you mentioned the, uh, the services in our, in our state of Michigan. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Dan, Dane Fife. Yep. Uh, and, you know, he came from Clarkson and mm-hmm. I was a school psychologist in Clarkson okay. and we had one of the best autism programs in the state and people would come from all over the area to get services from Clarkson. So wow. I'm sure coach Fife knows plenty, uh, should know plenty because he was around it a lot. We had <laughs> uh, a higher percentage of students on the spectrum in our district because of the services we were providing. So uh, kudos to Clarkson, kudos to you. And uh, it's amazing what you're doing. Thank you. And, and like I said, you know, before the interview, like, you know, I'm not done yet. I still, right. got, I still got a long way to go before I say, hey, I'm done doing what I'm doing. So. so so, what is that mission, I guess, just to, you know, moving forward? You know, you've talked about messaging. You've talked about understanding um, and, and just people having a, a greater scope, I guess, of, of what it is, what it means and how you go about, you know, dealing with it and, and including people. Your mission, I guess, if you had a main focus or a main message here, you know, moving forward, what you want to accomplish. So for me, Bogey, you know, I got a lot of different things I want to accomplish, you know, and a lot of different missions that I'm on and mm-hmm. a couple of them. So obviously the anti-bullying movement that I'm in. So I, I run my own anti-bullying initiative called the Relentless Tour, which I started eight years or seven years ago um, this October. And we are in October. Um, so I started seven years ago and then I and then it was moved over to the Michigan Department of Civil Rights who hired me full time to do this. So the mission for the tour is to eradicate as much bullying as possible, not just in our state, but in our country as well. 
and the messages of be careful what you say and do to others because you never know who that person will be like in the future. And not just going out and being the change you wish to see in life, but to go out and make that change. Um, that's one, probably my biggest mission as an advocate, anti-bullying advocate that I want to continue to do as long as bullying is out there and the message needs to be heard. And as far as like the autism piece, and you know, some of you may, one of you may laugh at this because you know, my motto has always been relentless. So before Mel Tucker got to Michigan State, I had that model. <laughs> so, he, he stole it from you now. He stole it from me, man. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've always told people that if you have dreams or goals in life, you need to go and attack those dreams and goals in life. You can't just sit in chairs every day hoping and praying that your dreams and goals are going to come to you. Like, you got to get up out of that chair and go get them. You got to be relentless at what you do in your life. And so no matter what you're going through, what in life, be relentless every day that you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you go to work, when you work out, et cetera, et cetera. And just be relentless and have that positive mindset every day. You're going to have bumps in the road, but just know that no obstacle and no barrier is too big to overcome in life. And when you overcome those challenges and barriers in life, you're going to go far and be pretty successful in whatever you want to do in life. So that's always going to be my life's mission, you know, from here on out. And so, and there's plenty of other things that I want to do and want to accomplish still. Um, you know, like we talked about in the beginning, you know, I got a book coming out early September next fall. I'm very excited about that and some other projects, you know, around the book that I'm hoping we can get done within the next year or so. But, you know, as long as there's a message needed, as long as advocacy and awareness and acceptance in the autism community is needed, I'm going to keep going full speed no matter what. Well, well Anthony, Anthony, appreciate yeah, it. Yes. You Thank sure you are what, what we call a rising champion for sure. Cause you're not finished yet. So you're still on the rise. And uh, I think that's awesome and beautiful. Where can we find you? Where can other people find you if they want to get in touch and learn more about your story and maybe have you speak to their organization or team or, or school? Absolutely. So they can go on my website, which is www.relentlesstour.com. Um, if they want me to have, you know, speak to their school, event, team, whatever, all they got to do is just click on the link that says bring Anthony you know, to your event. And then they fill out a form and the form comes right to me and they get to work with me personally. And if anybody wants to follow my journey, they can follow me on Twitter at AI 44 L Y D Instagram, AI game changer 44, or they can look me up on Facebook. Fantastic. Anthony, uh, great message, great conversation. Uh, just doing fantastic things. We, uh, honestly tickled to, to have you on the rising campus podcast. That was uh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks Bogey. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rising Champions podcast. Please subscribe and join us again next week for another episode.